This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're tuned into the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Priyot.my is a new website that encourages food lovers to start examining the food that we eat and its deeper relationship with our identity, culture and heritage more closely. Holding on to that principle, Priyot showcases recipes of food that are more personal, sourced from their various contributors, as well as experimental recipes using local ingredients and hard-to-find or almost forgotten dishes. They also have a section for stories that look at our relationship with food and its various intersectionality much, much closer. It's an ambitious project that allows readers to reflect and learn a lot more about our food, something we rarely see these days. So to learn more about this exciting initiative, we speak to the co-founders and editors of the website, Sureka Raghavan and Alia Ali. Hi, my name is Sureka, Sureka Raghavan. I am the stories editor of Prayuk and I'm also co-founder of this with Alia. I am Alia Ali and I am the recipes editor of Prayuk. What is Prayuk actually? And what, what, what makes you want to start Prayuk? So sometime in, I think it was May or June last year, I had an idea of starting a new website and that was during, I'm not sure if you're familiar with food platforms, like American food platforms, but there's quite a popular one called Bon Appetit and they came under fire for basically mistreating a lot of their non-white staff members. And, you know, the story blew up and I think it was quite a turning point for a lot of people, including myself, about, I guess, the lack of inclusivity in the food media world. And, uh, you know, that wasn't the only reason. I had always wanted to start a food website, but that was a sort of kick in the butt for me. And while I was sort of thinking about it, trying to conceptualize it, one of our mutual friends, Ling, said that I should get in touch with Alia. And Alia and I had already been acquaintances before. And so then we, you know, we, we got on the phone and we started talking and we just clicked and we were, you know, on the exact same wavelength about how we wanted this food platform to be. We had exactly the same visions. And yeah, that, that, that's how it all came about. Yeah, so when we first started, we were very brangan. We wanted to like do it, just the two of us. And it took about, was it was it a month before we were like, nope, we can't do this ourselves. And uh, we got some of our friends in. So basically, the whole team, we're all friends. Uh, the project manager is a friend. Our web guy is a friend. Our designer is a friend. And they were all very helpful and kind and encouraging and very into this project. That's interesting because Prayuk's approach is not the typical kind of approach when it comes to food, right? I think one of the main phrases that you use to describe Prio is to fill in the gap, right? Uh, perhaps you can describe what is this gap that you're talking about when it comes to, I guess, understanding food and its relationship to our culture here. So there's this quote that I like to repeat whenever people ask us about that. And uh, Sureka usually laughs when I say this because I say it all the time. I'm going to quote Darren Tio, the, the chef of Deokan. He said that Malaysians don't like food, they like to eat. That's a very important distinction, I think. And there's so much content on uh, Malaysian media of like, the best place to get this and the best place to get that, the top 10 this, the new restaurant that. It was all about Instagrammability or what chefs you wanted to like highlight or whatever, like, right? Like you wanted to be cool or anything. And the thing is, people don't eat like that all the time. People eat at home and there wasn't a lot about 
the home cook and home cooked food. That was the main gap for me personally. And uh, maybe Surika can talk about the gap between like the coverage of like Melayu China India food with other cuisines. Yeah. So I think one one thing that was very important to us from the start was to also highlight how incredibly diverse Malaysian cuisine is within itself. And I don't think a lot of people actually know that. And, you know, outside of your Ruti Chana and Nasi Lemak, right, you have like, you know, your northern states will have a version of one very particular dish. Your southern states will have something very particular. And then, you know, we have Borneo, which is so completely different in and of itself. And also, I think something that hopefully Periok can work towards in the future is we want to ask Malaysians to basically look at food beyond what they're eating and what's on their plate. You might have eaten a delicious meal or cooked a delicious meal, but we want to also get them to think about maybe the labor involved in cultivating the produce that you're eating. Think about the histories that, that's attached to what you're eating. Sometimes those histories can be oppressive. If you read our recent article about Ubi Kayu, that was the case. And, you know, think, think about, you know, whether you're buying your produce from maybe a large supermarket versus a pasatani or something. You know, whether people around you have the same access to the food as you do. You know, our sort of preconceived notions about health, fat phobia. So these are all very, very big questions. But we want to get to answering some of these in Bariok and hopefully get people to learn that it's impossible to separate food from politics. Mm. So Pariyot seems to have that two separate uh, approaches, right? And I think to a certain extent, both of you uh, handle the different sides of Pariyot, right? So I think Alia, you're more focused on the recipes and Sureka, you're more focused on the stories, right? And if you go to Pariyot's website, you can perhaps uh, see these two sections, right? Separated, but at the same time, perhaps together, creating that narrative that is sometimes difficult to to break apart, right? Or to separate between the two, right? As much as, you know, sometimes people can compartmentalize things. Um, so let's tackle, I think, Alia's idea of trying to perhaps get people to appreciate home-cooked food a lot more. Because I think, to a certain extent, you mentioned something along the lines of how food has become so commercialized these days, right? Then it's, it's about aesthetics. It's about, um, I guess, eating out. It has always been part of our culture, to be fair, but it has also become something that's so detached from the home to a certain extent, right? Because everything is about, you know, discovering food outside, discovering, you know, the best nasi lemak, the best chakwetiao, the best roti chanai in Klang Valley and things along those lines that we sometimes forget that, you know, at least our, our first relationship with food usually comes from home, right? Based on, based on my um, observation of what has been, I guess, published on period, the priority seems to be that, right? Getting people to appreciate that at the end of the day, food, comes from home, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I've been maintaining my Instagram for a while and I'm I'm a I'm a like foodstagrammer. I hate that phrase, but that is what I am. And um I do post food when I eat out, but a lot of times I post what I cook at home. And more often than not, my friends would be like, Wow, pandanya you must like this or like, oh how did you cook that? And I want to show people that it's not difficult to make these things at least not more difficult than i don't know making pasta or making a steak or whatever like it's it's it requires like different kinds of effort but the same kind of effort like that sorry different kinds of effort but the same level of effort sorry and like i can make these things at home and i don't have to like tunggu pergi kedai nasi campur to get asam pedas for example and I can cook the meals of my childhood without 
waiting to go back to my mother's house, which I can't do right now because my mother's not around anymore. And luckily, I learned how to cook those dishes before she passed. But yeah, so I'm, I want to, to really show people that it's no different or not much more difficult to cook at home than it is to like get in a car and drive outside and get a meal. Hmm. Was there ever a perception that cooking at home is perhaps difficult? Yeah, um, especially when it comes to like Malaysian food, like people are just, oh, lauk Melayu, like, there's so much like, rempah lah, kena tumbuk lah, kena ini lah, kena itu lah, but like, at the end of the day, it's the same process of like, you fry something, like you fry the aromatics, and then you put the vegetable or the protein in, and then you put a bit of sauce, and then it's done, like that kind of process is the same across so many cuisines, it's just that our specific vocabulary of ingredients probably is different yeah and i think also to get people acclimatized with this vocabulary that alia is talking about so like you know say you're cooking a pasta or a steak even if it's like a more western dish like there are actually still a lot of ways you can be creative using local ingredients so one example is actually we got a contributor who sent in a recipe for ulam pesto it's the recipe's not not out yet but it will be hopefully in a couple of months but so something like that, you know, you can make pesto out of ulam. Like you can actually make pretty much anything out of anything if you're just willing to break away from those, like the lines of a recipe, you know, just see what's around you, you know, you can sort of adapt. Exactly. Like I developed a recipe for ghee carbonara and like if any Italians are listening to this, I'm not going to apologize, but it's, <laughs> it's delicious. It's carbonara made with ghee and it's so good. So what? I can attest to that, yes. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think I mean as much as I want to stay away from it initially I guess we have to perhaps address the elephant in the room right that perhaps there is this perception that I think people sort of like think that oh maybe yeah local cuisine which is a bit complicated too much ingredients leche and things like that right whereas when it comes to oh you know pasta is much easier to cook quote unquote or it's simpler to prepare and I've even heard some people saying that oh maybe much you know these um Dishes are quote-unquote healthier compared to our our dishes. You know, what, what do you say to that? I mean, have you seen the amount of oil and cheese that goes into a, a carbonara? That's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. <laughs> and yeah. every cuisine is healthy or unhealthy in their own ways. Lah. And in my personal opinion, if the food is in your blood, so to speak, then it's probably good for you. Yeah. And also, I think people's perceptions of what people in other cultures eat is probably quite not always accurate. So, you know, perhaps maybe like if you're a Malay person, you're not always eating like nasi minyak and ayam masak merah every night, right? And I grew up with a lot of Indian food. I didn't grow up eating like super oily curries and like deep fried, you know, sotong goreng or whatever, right? Or whatever you get at your banana leaf rice. You know, we, we grew up eating things like sambar and rasam and like very sort of, again, I don't like to put things in the healthy or unhealthy brackets, but very sort of, I'll say like quite wholesome and nutritious food. And very diverse as well. Mm. But I think to a certain extent, like it or not, it is kind of a thing these days, right? Where people like, you know, want to look for quote unquote healthy activities. And I think the kind of perceptions um, that they have towards local cuisines is that, um oh, perhaps it's a bit too, you know, oily, berminyak, santan lah, manis sangat, and things like that. So, it's sometimes difficult to, to so, sort of like get out of that as well, to a certain extent. I mean, and, and is that something that is perhaps a challenge for, for Prio to tackle? I mean, everything in moderation, including moderation. But like, I would like to give people credit and like, 
to make their own choices for themselves. Like, there are all these recipes on the site. Maybe you don't want to eat meat. Don't eat meat. Choose a recipe that, that has more, like, we have we have a krabu recipe. You don't like santan. Don't eat santan. Like, there's so many choices you can make for yourself. And what you eat, I think, isn't a choice that people should make for you. Yeah, I, I think also maybe it's time we start to examine why we sometimes think that more Western cuisines are perceived as more healthy. And that could also maybe be, you know, due to our own histories or our own unconscious biases. And, you know, that could be something I think we, we would want to write about in the future. Mm. Um, it's one thing to highlight the local cuisine, but it's another to unearth all the rich history and rich ingredients that we have that we have sometimes forgotten. Right? And I think um, um, that you mentioned earlier, the recipe on tapioca, and then there's also buah keluar, I think how to wash and how to cook buah keluar. I saw that uh, post as well. Um, and that's, that's another aspect that I think we... For even for 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 people who have, quote unquote, local taste, but like again, as an example, perhaps uh, these are the things that sometimes they tend to, I won't say ignore, but maybe have forgotten or have uh, left behind, right? To a certain extent, uh, pekasam, for example, that's another thing that's very you can consider and quiet taste, right? Um, but it is also important that we look at these dishes and these uh, recipes and unearth them so that we know how rich how rich our our cuisines are, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you know. As I mentioned before, our cuisines are so diverse and there are so many things that I think we ourselves don't know. I am learning so much just being part of this website uh, from Alia, from our contributors. And I'm just always so, like always taken by surprise at how much I don't know. And I, and we, I guess hopefully with this help others discover, um, you know, some areas of Malaysian cuisine that they themselves are not familiar with. And think about food in a more specific way. So when you're thinking about Malay food, you know, this is, maybe a, a specific to, to, to Pahang or specific to Trungadu or something, you know, like think about where, where it's coming from, think about how it moved to other areas in Malaysia, for instance, or how it became popular in other parts. I think that's always interesting to me. Yeah, and I'd like to add on to that of how I, that, that's exactly why I love food because it's a lens for me to discover a lot of things. Like it's a way for me to discover politics. It's a way for me to discover economics. It's a way for me to discover history, anthropology, culture, what what have you. And we really are learning so much with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, food is actually a great entry point to a lot of those issues that Alia mentioned. Yeah. Like, for example, um, the very first interview we featured was with Sharifa Nadira, who uh, did the uh, Forgotten Taste book about Temuan and Samai food. And she talked quite a bit about how, like, the Hululangat Forest is uh, a place where a lot of Orang Asli get their food from. And because of the logging that was going on. And see, it's stuff like that, that if it weren't about food, like if, if there wasn't an, an entry point of food, like some people, including me, unfortunately, probably might have not cared that much. And now I'm just like, oh, they can't get near this anymore. But that sucks. Yeah, so it's, it's stuff like that that gets you thinking about certain things.
That was Alia Ali and she's joined by Surika Raghavan and they're both co-founders and editors of Priyot.my, a website that showcases recipes and stories about our food and its many different intersections. We're going to go for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin and I'm joined this week by Surika Raghavan and Alia Ali, co-founders and editors of Periyot.my, a food website that upholds cuisines close to us and their relationships with the society. They've shared the creation process for the various recipes that they showcase on the website and now Surika is going to share the editorial process behind the stories on Periyot.my. So in terms of stories, absolutely we rely heavily on our contributors because at the moment it's just Alia and I full-time on this project and I have a full-time job so it's always you know difficult but also you know we, we have an ideas folder it's a really large ideas folder I think we're talking like between 80 to 100 story and recipe ideas we have so many but of course it's a challenge to execute or, or find the right contributors and obviously we don't want to, you know, we want to make sure that the right people are telling the right stories. I think that's one of our biggest challenges so far with Periodes. And we, we've been lucky that we've, we've gotten a lot of, I guess, you could call it like organic, like attention, maybe through social media. And we've had a lot of pictures come in so far and the stories have been excellent. Most of our contributors are not quote unquote like trained or experienced writers. Um, but that doesn't matter so much to us. For us, we really just want to understand different perspectives and we're able to then guide them to come up with an angle, guide them along the way writing the story. And we just want to encourage them to tell tell your story. So I guess, you know, if we're talking about challenges, that's definitely one. Um, we also, we recently did a poll where we asked our readers what kind of content they are most drawn to so far in Periok. Most people said stories around history and culture. So I guess that's an area that we'll be looking into more and be focusing more on um, in the near future, I think. Mm. Because you can't run away from culture when it comes to food, right? I think because it's so intertwined with culture. But at the same time, there are a lot of other aspects uh, as well, right? When it comes to food uh, and its relationship with other things, anthropological, politics, economic. Is that also the priority perhaps in, in you know, giving readers different sides of things that perhaps they're not aware of? Absolutely, yeah. Actually, one of the things that Alia and I talk about quite often when you talk about economics, right, is how we think about the value of our foods and how much we pay for them. So for instance, you go to, uh, I don't know, your local mama shop and, you know, if you find that your tetarik has increased by 20 cents or your rutichana has increased by 20 cents, you might whine a little bit about it. But you go to a cafe and you order some pancakes for 25 ringgit and that's absolutely fine. So, so how, how, are we, how are we thinking about the value of our foods and how that relates back to our, going back earlier to our point about unconscious biases maybe in our, our own histories? Um, but yeah, I think those things are always hard and it's not things that people talk about very openly, I think, yet. So it's, you know, if anyone at all wants to come to us and, you know, talk to us about this, want to pitch a story around this, we're happy to. I think the challenge right now is really just getting getting the right people to come to us with the, with the right ideas. 
It's interesting that you brought that up because I have had that conversation multiple times with a lot of different <laughs> friends, yeah. specifically about that topic. And it's interesting to gauge how they react to it. Like, you know, some people say that, oh, perhaps, you know, maybe, you know, if you can pay 25 ringgit for a, for a plate of pancake, why can't we pay 25 ringgit for nasi lemak? There's some people who will say that you can put it at a certain price, but if it reaches 30 ringgit, then it's too expensive already. Then, yeah. So, so it's, just, it's interesting to have that that kind of arguments, uh, conversations rather, not arguments, uh, conversations with a lot of different people with, with regard to that specific topic. Lah. <laughs> I just find that quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's something that, that I find very curious because, I mean, you see it a lot in white countries, in, in the US, in Australia, where... Uh, if you pay X dollars for laksa, it's outrageous. This is supposed to be like cheap and authentic, blah, blah, blah. But they have no problem paying like five times more for a plate of pasta, which takes like five minutes to cook. And it, like, it's one thing for people to have that kind of mindset in white countries, but it absolutely infuriates me that people have that mindset here. Like, why must your your nasi campur or whatever be under 10 bucks when it requires so much more work and so much more effort but you are very happily paying 25 bucks for pasta i cannot fathom that at all going going back to perio um the thing about um writing stories is also to a certain extent it forces us to um confront certain things that quote unquote might slightly be uncomfortable for us right for example, ethical consumption. These days, people are slowly becoming a bit more conscious about the kind of food that they eat. You know, and, and especially for, for a platform that upholds values and traditions. Is this something that also will eventually have to be discussed? For example, you know, should we move away from eating poultry and you know, meat? When the fact that I think to a certain extent, these products have always been part of us, part of our culture. Would this also be some of the topics that will be explored you know, later down the road? Yes, absolutely. I love that you bring that up because I think Alia and I talk about that quite often, but it's not always easy for us to, you know, there's, there's no sort of grand conclusion, right? Because as you mentioned, it's so entrenched in our traditions and cultures to, you know, maybe consume things like meat, things that are not always good for our planet. So it's, I think that would be a real challenge for us. I think it will be interesting and we definitely want to explore that path, you know, to be more to ask people to more responsibly source for the ingredients, maybe look for meat substitutes. And I don't know. I mean, I think I, I do wonder whether or not we, we might get pushed back from that. But so far, we, um, we, we've published one story so far about vegan substitutes to common Malay ingredients, including things like belacan and beef. And that actually did really well and it got a lot of good feedback. So I don't know. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe people will react to it well. Yes. So personally for me, I think it's more about finding the right sources for your ingredients. I mean, you can be on a purely vegetarian, even a vegan diet, but are you buying from sources that say pay their laborers fairly or does it have that many like miles on this food? Like where did it travel from, etc., etc. Like I would much rather eat chicken that was slaughtered less than 10 kilometers away versus eating a bowl of quinoa that was flown from halfway across the world. So that that's my personal philosophy. And I think that should also be presented as one of the options down the line. 
Um, and going back to your recipes, um, I think the home cook aspect of things means that it requires you to have a very intimate relationship with food when you were growing up or when you're at home, right? So uh, I find it quite interesting that I think sometimes, you know, as we grow older, we sort of like lose that relationship, especially if we didn't take up, you know, cooking lessons or didn't, you know, learn from our parents when we were younger. And then once we live on our own, perhaps we lack that knowledge, right? And, and I, th- I think to a certain extent, it contributes to, you know, the rise in us eating out a lot more, I suppose. And, and to a certain extent, it also, I guess, influenced the way we sort of like learn how to cook as well. Because I think a lot of people then go on YouTube or online to find recipes and they tend to go for the more, uh, you know, the, the very recipes that you guys are, I won't say against, but uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> recipes that you guys are perhaps, you know, slightly uncomfortable with. Uh, you know, the, the mainstream kinds of recipes. I uh, know for lack of a better term, I don't know how to, put, how to phrase it properly. So it's interesting to think about that, right? I think to a certain extent, because I think I have to admit that, you know, I, while I did grow up, you know, being in the kitchen, um, you know, playing my role slightly, I have never had actually, you know, learned how to cook. And I think now that I'm an adult, I always tell my mom whenever I'm home, you know, back in my hometown that, you know, I would like to perhaps learn how to cook, but I ended up, you know, just helping out without actually learning. So it's, an, it's interesting that, you know, we're, we're trying to, to bring back the essence, but at the same time, the essence itself can sometimes be lost among some people who don't really have that that relationship with the family, right? Or the home itself that they are able to, come up with all these home-cooked recipes, right? Well, I grew up with a very contentious relationship with my mom, but at the same time, she made well sure that I could cook everything that she did. And I'm grateful for that. But I think, to me, it kind of relates a little bit back to that that health thing you were talking about earlier, about how when you cook for yourself, you know what goes into your food. You know exactly the... Well, ideally, you would know exactly the ingredients, where they came from how much sugar or oil or whatever your dietary preferences are go into that dish. And if all you do is eat out, here's the thing. The reason why eating out the food outside tastes so good is because it's got so much salt. (laughs) So it's, it's stuff like that. I think that people need to consider, I think, when they think about whether they want to eat out or eat at home or whether they want to eat quote unquote healthy which I will prefer to use the term like wholesome and nutritious uh, or not, I personally think it's it's never too late to learn how to cook. And if it sucks, just try again, try and try again. That's the great thing about learning how to cook, I think, because the results are edible or you can throw it out. <laughs> it's not it's not like writing or like whatever where you can just it just like lives <laughs> forever. <laughs> <laughs> if it sucks, just like eat it or throw it out. <laughs> Do it again. And I think also, Hanif, to your point about it being attached to family, like it doesn't always, I think, have to be as romantic as that. So not everyone has that sort of personal history where they grew up cooking with their parents or their grandparents. And, you know, they have this whole legacy of recipes that they bring along with them in their, into their adulthood. I started cooking very much into my adulthood and I didn't know I didn't even know how to you know boil water or cook cook an egg or anything I don't think that there's a good or a bad there it's really just you cook whether it's for practical reasons whether it's for reasons to connect with your family for whatever reason right you cook and that in itself is is quite a beautiful thing yeah and personally like 
I think cooking is a very valuable skill, whether you like doing it or not. I, I mean, cooking can be a hobby or not, but I think cooking is really such a valuable skill, especially in this pandemic where the first things that flew off the shelves were gardenia bread and eggs because literally nobody knew how to do anything else other than fry eggs and make toast. And that to me was like, Allah, sedenia. Like you can you can do so much. You could have fed yourself so much better if you knew at least how to cook. But at the same time, you don't have to like cooking. A lot of people don't like cooking. Some days I hate doing it. But it's it's a very valuable skill to have. Okay, so going back to Perio, um, do you have any favorite moments? You know, what what have you learned so far in 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 setting up the website and running the website? Um, I'm sure you have learned a lot of things. But what are some of the memorable things that you've learned from from your experience so far? Surika, you go first. <laughs> it's it's not easy to start a passion project uh, in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> and self self funded passion project. I think it's you know without without a proper monetization plan, I think people might tend to get burned out. Um, so I think it's that it, you you have to kind of really love <laughs> what you do. <laughs> and thankfully, Alia and I do. But we are we are you know on the path to monetization. Hopefully, cross fingers. In terms of what I learned, I think just going there again, just to repeat myself again about the point uh, I made about learning about the diversity within Malaysian cuisine. That's been the most valuable thing I've learned so far, and the quality of contributors and stories. I, I'm forever grateful. I think what I've learned is that something like this was really needed. I mean, where where we first started, it was. We did say to each other like, "Yeah, this is necessary. This is all." But it was for me at least on some level a kind of short sleary thing. Like, yeah, 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 definitely, this is something that people need. But now that we are published and articles are coming out, recipes are coming out, and we see the feedback coming in from people going like, "Look at them highlighting!" Like we we recently had a ubi kayu week, and people were like. <laughs> Wow, in Ubi Kayu week, like that's unheard of. We wholly celebrated Ubi Kayu. Thank you, Azif. That was our main contributor for that week. But yeah, and it was it was really gratifying to see that people were really welcoming of these supposedly niche topics. That was great. Okay, moving forward. Um, what are your future plans for Priyo? Uh, money. Uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Maybe Surika can say that more eloquently. <laughs> yeah, no, I mentioned that before, but yeah, definitely more, more of those stories as we talked about, like more along those intersections we talked about before, like economics, anthropology, you know, those lines, health, and I guess just to grow in terms of you know both numbers, impact, continue to put out good content. It's also really really nice when people cook the recipes and send us photos. That's yeah. always nice. We never get tired of it. So please continue doing that. Yeah, I guess that. I mean, we are very small, so uh, you know, we, we we take it one one day at a time. But yeah, yeah, I test. Time, I guess. I test every single recipe that comes through. So it's nice when somebody else also makes it because then I don't feel alone. So it's not just the contributor and me who made the recipe. Like, come on, guys, make the recipe. Give us photos. Yeah. And uh, it'd be great if we can in the future expand to, um, I don't know, video and maybe we'll do a podcast. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for people out there who would like to find out more about Priyot, they can go to priyot.my. Uh, what about if they want to submit um, recipes or stories? So we have a tab on the website that says Get Involved and you can see all the ways you can get involved there or you can just send us an email 
hello at perio.my. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was Alia Ali joined by Surika Raghavan and together they co-founded Periok.my, a website that looks at food that we consume from a more thoughtful perspective. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Remember to stay at home, practice physical distancing and stay safe. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.